It's good to see you this morning. Thanks for coming out on this uh, rather gloomy, cloudy day. As opposed to yesterday, it was brilliant sunshine. Uh, but we will give thanks for the day the Lord has made. Um, so those of you who were expecting Nick on evangelism this morning, uh, based on Jonty's announcement last week, sorry to disappoint. That's going to start next week. Um, so we've bamboozled you into coming to listen to this talk on forgiveness um, this morning. So just before I start, I need to give proper credit. Almost everything I'm going to say this morning is from this book by Timothy Keller called Forgive. Uh, It's called Why Should I and How Can I as the subtitle. Um, If you have more questions following this, I mean, I'm happy to talk to you, but I would just encourage you to go and get this book and read it uh, and then come with your questions uh, and we can go from there. Um, but any, anything that I say that you don't like is from me. Anything that's of value is from Tim Keller. Um, so we're, we're, this can be a bit of a, a difficult topic, uh, forgiveness. Obviously, we're not going to come close to exhausting it this morning in, in 30 minutes' time. Um, but we are just going to hit the high points of it this morning. Um, and then I've listed for you on the sheet at the back some Bible verses and other things that you can go and read and meditate on this further in your own time and your own study. So really this morning is sort of a just a survey, kind of a primer to get to get you thinking, uh, hopefully maybe challenge uh, some of us, uh, maybe even convict, um, but to get us thinking at least more biblically about the about the topic of forgiveness. And I apologize, my printer was running low on ink, so you will have to share the sheets. Sharing is caring, uh, so do sit cozy with the person next to you and, and look on with the sheet. I'm sorry we don't have enough uh, for every person. Uh, if you would like one and don't get one, I, I'm happy to send it to you afterwards. Um, but let's start, if you have a Bible, open it up to Exodus We're going to be in chapter 34 of the book of Exodus, first thing. And we're just going to start by looking at God's character a little bit. Again, not to exhaust it, even if we could, but just to think a little bit about who God is and and what He's like. So in this part in the book of Exodus in chapter 34... The, the people of Israel have just made the golden calf. They've just, Moses came down uh, from receiving the first set of Ten Commandments. Um, then he broke them when he saw what the people had done. The people had sinned greatly against God. And now Moses is back before God receiving his second set of commandments. And let's start in verse 1 in chapter 34 of Exodus. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. By the way, be ready by the morning and come and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. 
The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So we're focusing on verses six and seven from that, but just reading the first few verses to give you kind of an intro of of what's happening. As we said, the people had just sinned greatly against God. They made this image with their bare hands and said, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. This is our Savior. This is our Deliverer. This this piece of gold that we've just made with our hands, not you, Yahweh. You you are not that God to us. We, We reject you. We rebel against you. This is our God. And here we see God's response to that. Now, we might think in our minds, rightly, his, his response could have been another flood. Uh, he could have consumed them all, in which there, there is some payment for the penalty. But his, his main heart, his main response is one of forgiveness, not immediate and total destruction of these people. And he starts by saying his name. He starts by proclaiming the Lord, the Lord. And again, the Hebrew, that's the name that he gave to Moses. The name that describes who he is. This this Yahweh. It's I am. So the God who always is. And it's his covenantal name. So he's saying, I I am am with you. And by proclaiming my name, this is my covenant with you. I'm, I'm remembering my covenant that I've made with you, that I will be a God to you, to, to, to your children after you. And so even in the midst of their sin, that's what God is saying to the people. He says, I'm merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And yet, we see something very interesting. So even though he says... I'm a God who forgives. It's amazing that he says, and yet I will by no means clear the guilty. So you need to think about that in your mind for just a second. How how can those two things be? How, How can God forgive sin, but by no means clear the guilty? If you have sinned, you're guilty, aren't you? So how can God just say, I I forgive it. I I wipe it away. So we we get a little, well, obviously we know now, but they wouldn't have known then. This points to Jesus, doesn't it? But hang on to that uh, for just a bit. Next uh, passage that I have for you there is is Genesis in chapter 19. And I'll just kind of read this briefly, uh, but you can turn there if you like. But it's the story of Lot and God, God rescuing Lot. And this, sh- again, shows God's mercy. It says, 
As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So again, you see God, he's going to destroy the city because it's so wicked. And he's saying, and the angel, he sent angels to Lot to rescue him, saying, get out, I'm about to destroy this city. And Lot doesn't go. He stays. And, and this, is, this is the hold that sin has on us. This is what we do with sin. E- even though we see the wickedness, we know that it's wrong. We know that it brings destruction. And we hold on to it. And we can't let go. But God in His mercy seizes us and pulls us away from it to save us. And this is what he did for Lot. And then uh, in Matthew in the New Testament, chapter 9, And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Again, we see God's heart. We see the heart of Jesus for sinners. It's this heart of forgiveness. It's this heart of pity for those who are who are suffering and who are trapped even by their own sin that they've brought on themselves. Um, So knowing that, seeing that God is a God of forgiveness and that if if we believe in, in Christ, if we trust in Christ, we have received that forgiveness. Um, Most of us think I love forgiveness. Thank you, God, for forgiveness as we should. But I want you to discuss around tables for a minute. Do we really like forgiveness? Do we really like it? And I'm leading you with a couple of passages there. Luke 15 and Jonah 4. Um, That's the story of the prodigal son. And then obviously Jonah. So take five minutes and think about reading those verses and thinking about do I really like forgiveness? All right, go. For those of you who might not have heard, he's saying we should be gracious to others as God's been gracious to us and some other good stuff. Um, <laughs> couldn't repeat it all verbatim yet. Anybody else a thought? I, I think if we're honest with ourselves, forgiveness, <laughs> at least we have to give it, it feels a bit unfair, doesn't it? Does anybody ever feel that? Or am I the only one? Thank you. I'm not the only one. There's two of us. Um, it, it feels unfair. And in our current culture, with, with our, I don't know, just everything has to be about justice. And I think that comes from a good place, and we're going to get there in a minute. But it feels a bit unjust to forgive sometimes it it feels like that that person has hurt me 
and they need to pay for it. That, that's kind of our initial, I think, natural sinful response. Um, th- there's a quote by Kierkegaard there talking about the absurdity of the atonement requires faith that we believe that for God, even the impossible is possible. And then he goes on to say, you can't have joy unless you embrace this idea. And I think, I think that's very important for us because we, we miss out on a, on a greater blessing, a greater joy by remaining in our anger, in our, in our, in our bitterness towards other people. Um, go, going down the sheet there, I, I've listed, and again, this is from the book. This is not from me. Keller gives these models of forgiveness. Um, the first one he calls non-conditional or cheap grace. That term cheap grace comes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, and it, anyway, he, he explains it further. But, but what we mean here is, is this cheapening of grace. Grace is given to us to forgive our sins, but it also should change our lives, the way we live. And we cheapen grace when we think, oh, it's just for salvation. It's not actually for my sanctification. And that's what he means by cheap grace. So here, this, this non-conditional, he calls it the therapeutic approach. You, you might hear this, uh, even in church, you, you might hear, oh, oh, you just need to forgive so that you'll feel better about yourself. It's not good for you to hold on to that anger because you're just letting this other bad person control you. You need to let go of all that. And there's truth in there. There's good truth in there. Those things are true. And yet that's not the main point of forgiveness, biblically. So the first, this first approach, this non-conditional is just forgive no matter what, sort of carte blanche, just you need to do it for your sake. It's, it's very victim-focused forgiveness. I, I'll forgive because it's good for me. So that, that's the idea behind non-conditional. The second one is merited transactional. And this is little grace. And it's very conditional. Um, you, you, you can say something like, I don't, I don't have to forgive at all unless the other person comes and, and grovels before me. I'm, I'm going to make the other person feel the weight of what they've done to me. This is transactional. I'm, I'm going to wait until I get the, my just, you know, till I give that person what they deserve, until I hear from them what I should be hearing from them, then I will forgive and I'll let go of my anger. But until that time they're going to know what they did to me. That's transactional. Okay? And then the third one is just no forgiveness. And, and you, again, in our current culture, you might see this a lot. They, they don't deserve forgiveness for what they've done. Give it, if you forgive the person, you, you're making it like what they did you know, wasn't bad. You might hear something like that. So therefore, don't forgive. You're just saying it's okay. If you forgive them, they're just going to keep abusing you. You might hear that. And again, there's bits of truth in all of these things, but they're not, 
the whole truth, if that makes sense. And then fourthly, the biblical model is costly grace. And this, this points to the cross of Christ. Because when we, started, when we started with Exodus, what we saw was we saw the love of God and we saw the wrath of God. God's love that said, I will forgive you. I'm, I'm a faithful, forgiving. I have steadfast love for you. We saw a loving God. But we also saw this holy God which comes across as wrath against sin that said, and by no means will the guilty go unpunished. I will not clear the guilty. So we saw God's holiness, His love, and we saw His wrath there in that Exodus passage. So what do we mean by costly grace? Because on the cross, we saw those two things perfectly illustrated. We saw God's love because by sending His Son to the cross, He's saying to all of us and to everyone who believes, I love you so much that I'm sending my son to die for you. But I hate sin so much, my wrath is being poured out on my son. Do you see the two of those? So we see both of that. And so the cross then is now our model for forgiveness. And we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit more. So we're going to go back round tables now for this little case study. Um, so take maybe 10, 10 minutes. Read the Matthew 18 parable of the unforgiving servant and then work through the questions there uh, if you can. Okay, so take maybe eight or 10 minutes. So th- this parable, the parable of the unforgiving servant... You have this servant who owes the king a crazy amount of money, multiple lifetimes worth of wages. And the point is not so much the amount, is that there's no way possible this servant would ever be able to pay back this debt. That, that, that's the idea that, that Jesus is trying to portray. He, he couldn't pay it back. Um, and, and yet, what, what does the king do? He says, you know, I forgive you because he took pity. He took pity on the servant. So the first question, what happened to the debt that was owed? Anybody? What happened to the debt? It was wiped. Okay, but what happened to it? It didn't just disappear. The king took it on himself. Exactly. So... By, by the king saying, I forgive you the debt, he, he was still out the money, wasn't he? he? He took on the payment of the debt himself. That, that's the costly bit when we say costly grace. It's costing the victim. Don't miss that. That's very important. So, just because you say to somebody, I forgive you, it doesn't make the, the missing portion of whatever was owed go away. Whether it's financial or emotional or physical, whatever it is, it doesn't magically disappear. The king says, I'll take it for you. Even though you caused me this grief, I'll take it. 
That's what God does for us. That's costly grace. Second question. What were the expectations of the master, the king, of his servant after the servant was forgiven? Anybody? Follow his example. Yes. So his expectation was you've received forgiveness. Go and give forgiveness to other people. It, and the idea here is that once you have received forgiveness, once your life has been given back to you, because his life was over. He, he was being thrown in prison. He was, he was under a debt that he never could repay and all of a sudden, he has life. The master, the king is saying, if a person has experienced that, they want to do that for other people. That's the expectation. And then thirdly, obviously, what is Jesus' message to us? Keller says, perhaps the most fundamental lesson of the parable is that human forgiveness must be based on an experience of divine forgiveness. In other words, you can't forgive other people properly, biblically, unless you have received forgiveness from God. But once you have received forgiveness from God, you will be a person who forgives other people. It, it must be that way. Does that make sense? Any questions at that point? Or any of the other stuff at this point? Good. Okay, let's move on. <clears throat> so, what is this costly grace? So, we've kind of hit on it. It's Luke, Luke 23, 34. It's, it's Jesus on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus on the cross as, as, as He's being killed, murdered, they, the people are not coming to Him saying, please forgive us for sinning against You. He says, I forgive you. you. Father, forgive them for this sin. Before they come to Him, He says, forgive them. He's taking on the penalty Himself in that very moment. He's taking on what they owe to Him. He says, I'll take it. Don't put this on their account. Put it on mine. That's what Jesus does. And then secondly, we see the example of Stephen. Uh, Acts chapter 7, Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So here, uh, Matthew Henry has a really help, helpful thought. He says that Stephen was praying to God and actually falling to his knees. Now, you might think he just fell to his knees because he's being stoned. It might have happened that way. Matthew Henry suggests, or at least asked the question, was he falling to his knees to pray? Which is the posture of prayer. And he says, Stephen is praying to God and he's praying out loud, Father, forgive them. And the author of Acts has put in the sentence just before that that they were laying their garments at the feet of Saul. Now why is that important? 
Well, because later, Saul has a conversion experience. And it might just be that Saul remembered back to a time that he was forgiven in the very act of murder. Now, what does that do to a person? What does that do to a person when in the very act of sin against their victim, the victim is saying, I forgive you for this. Matthew Henry suggests it shows the other person their sin. So just in case Saul didn't realize, because Jesus had told his disciples, people are going to kill you and think they're doing it for me. So Saul, in that moment, may not have realized, you know, what I'm doing is actually wrong. He, th- he was very zealous. He thought what he was doing was right. But by Stephen saying to him, I forgive you for sinning, it's very clear that Saul was sinning. And so were the other people. So it shows the other person that what they're doing or what they have done is a sin by saying that that forgiveness is necessary. Secondly, it shows them that they are loved. Because unmerited love changes everything. I mean, if that's your experience of salvation, if you've you've experienced this unmerited love, it, it changed your life. And when we give that to other people, it changes their lives. Um, and then thirdly, it shows them that pardon from sin is, is possible. Now one of the biggest dangers that we have as people is, is, is being buried under this guilt of sin and thinking, there's no way I can escape this. God would never love me. God could never save me. And, and you people wouldn't even like me if you knew what I had done. If you knew what I was thinking right now, you wouldn't like me. This is being buried under guilt. But when we forgive people freely and take on the burden of what they actually owe us, we're showing them that ultimate pardon from sin from God is possible. Because this is how God works. This is who God is. He's a God of wrath, but He's a God of love. And so that's being shown when we forgive people. Um, now, briefly, excusing versus forgiving. An, an excuse eliminates the need for forgiveness. We're saying, oh, what you did wasn't really that bad. It's okay. You know, we'll just brush it away. But that's not true forgiveness. That's just excusing. And that, that's not what we're talking about. Does God care about justice? Well, I, th- I think we've already made that pretty clear. But Romans chapter 3 says... From verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So we might think that if we, in our sort of sinful thinking or in worldly thinking, we think, if I forgive sin, justice will not be done. What God is saying is that He forgives sin and accomplishes justice. He's for justice. He will not let sin go unpunished. Leviticus 19, 17, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. 
You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. God, God is, is telling the Israelites, he, he's, he's, he's giving the laws to the people and He's showing them, again, who He is and therefore how should they be? How should they treat one another? And He's saying, you should reason frankly with your neighbor. That is essentially what we have in Matthew 18 where we're told to go to our neighbor when they've sinned against us. Go and reason with them. Go and show them that what they did against you was a sin. So, it's not about letting them, letting them off the hook or letting them go unpunished or, or whatever so that they can continue on sinning. No, that's, that's not what we want to happen. We want to stop the sin, but we want to love the sinner. Um, so sometimes, um, again, Keller suggests that we, we might call it justice but what we're really after is vengeance. We think justice needs to be done here. This person needs to be held to account. But what we really want is we want that person to suffer as much as I've had to suffer. And just think for a moment, if this is, God, if this is how God treated us, in what position would we be? We'd be finished. There's no hope for us if that's the way God loves us, if that's the way God treats us, if He's only vengeance, if He's only wrath with no love, then we're finished. And so therefore then our example or His example to us leads us to live lives of love first, but also pursuing this justice, also trying to eliminate the sin. So um, Keller proposes that we need to inwardly forgive before going to the person. And inward forgiveness has to happen first because otherwise we won't go to the person in love. We'll go to the person in vengeance. And and if you've ever been in this experience, and I imagine most of us have multiple times, either you've sinned against someone or they've sinned against you and then that there's that awkward conversation you can tell, they can tell, are you out for vengeance or do you love the person? Because if you're, if you're going to them saying, um, this is what you did to me and I want you to know that, you know, with this, I'm holier than thou, I've never sinned in my life and you are a sinner. If you go to them in that way, that, that eliminates that just puts a barrier against any sort of reconciliation that was ever going to happen. But when we forgive first and we go to the person and then we go to them in love and we want them to be reconciled both to us and to God, that's when forgiveness takes place. That's when reconciliation is possible. Um, We are quickly running out of time. Uh, I've talked too long. But just want to hit a couple of more points Jesus tells us in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, skipping down a bit, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Again, this is Jesus 
reiterating the point that we've already made, that if, if you are a person who has received forgiveness, you will forgive. If you have not received forgiveness, you will not give forgiveness. So this inward forgive. so going through the steps a little bit is that I have received this vertical forgiveness from God. I will give this horizontal forgiveness to other people. And what it means is that I forgive inwardly in my heart. Then I can go to the person out of love and show them what they've done, but out of love because I want that person restored in a right relationship with God and I want to reconcile this horizontal relationship. Any questions before we finish? Okay. I know that's heavy. I know it's deep. Um, And there's a bit more on the sheet we didn't get to, and there's plenty more we could have talked about. Uh, Happy to chat after. But again, I do uh, recommend the book to you. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus. We thank you that you are a God who loves and forgives. And God, we confess to you that we do not forgive as we should. We confess to you our selfishness and our lack of love for others, and especially for those who have wronged us. God, would you change our hearts? Would you give us hearts of love for others, for your namesake, for your glory, for the bringing in of your lost sheep? We pray that you would do this. Amen.